Hello and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles's leading women in architecture and issues relevant to our profession. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. I'm an architect in Los Angeles running my own small practice and teaching at Cal Poly Pomona. I started this podcast out of a curiosity to hear more stories and learn strategies about how women are succeeding and leading in architecture. Today's guest is Pooja Bhagat, architect at the City of Santa Monica and chair of the AIA LA Women in Architecture Committee. She received her Master's of Architecture degree from SciArc and her Bachelor's in India at the Shushant School of Art and Architecture. In today's episode, Pooja will tell us about the upcoming Powerful Four conference and how we can encourage equity in the profession. We discuss her interest in placemaking as an architect and even get a little personal, talking about her perspective as a parent and an immigrant and how that has brought her openness and strengthened her abilities as an architect. Let's jump right into the episode with Pooja telling us about the Powerful Four Conference, which is coming up on October 5th at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Powerful Four is about advocacy, empowerment, and design. And design is the reason that we sort of here together. And that's what binds us together. And so that's what Powerful this year will cover. And so, you know, we're sort of, what we're trying to do this year is, is make sure that we're bringing in people who can help inspire and advocate for the profession, for women to be continue in the profession, as we know that there is a huge drop and we know all about sort of the missing 33%. And we see that sort of across the board in other professions as well as, you know, as sort of women continue to continue to work, they hit a ceiling and they don't sort of get to that leadership point of view. And so advocating for that and empowering women uh, by either coaching them or giving them the tools to um, to survive, um, to continue to be in the profession as well and to stick to it. I'll be attending Powerful this year and I'm just so excited about it. Um, I was wondering, you know, is there anyone in particular who you're excited to see speak? I think across the board, I think we've got an, a very interesting panel of speakers mm-hmm. and interesting panel of topics. We're going to sort of start with um, someone who's a non-architect, uh, who's going to hopefully empower and energize uh, us, who's done a lot of work with women, families, and children, um, and is a public policy uh, expert. She's also a political strategist. Um, she's done a lot of work with the mayor's office. She happens to also be the um, the first lady of Los Angeles. Um, you know, we will move with um, also Gabriella, who is coming from Mexico all the way. And so she's going to bring about the um, her perspective on what's happening in in Mexico and with women architects and sort of you know connecting the dots between what's happening here in um, the US and sort of what's happening in Mexico as well and and sort of uh, bringing about both 
not only the issues of women but right. what binds us together is is design and and the community of design mm-hmm. um we'll have Dana Kaf as well um you know who is from the city lab LA so there's uh and we're also getting actually um a lady who is uh um she's a phd in organizational behavior her name is judith siegel and she'll talk to us about assertiveness Oh, I saw her at the one um event that you guys put on. That's exactly correct. Yes. She's great. She is absolutely great. So, hopefully it will be an event that will leave us energized and empowered. That sounds wonderful and I'm so excited about it. Where can people get tickets? Go online and search for Powerful uh, 2017. It you will also find it under the platform of AIALA, and you'd be able to uh, get the tickets. I encourage everyone to attend, both men and women, and it's powerful together. It's not. It's not um, just for women to attend. Uh, the important thing here is that we are able to, uh, you know, spread awareness of the issues. But it's not just about issues. You know, this is not a platform. Powerful is just not the platform for all the issues that women face. What brings us together is really design, and and as a community, uh, that's what we want to be able to sort of practice. And you know, there are celebrating women as architects, celebrating women as designers. celebrating the work that we've done together um increasing the awareness of uh of the number of women who are actually in leadership roles and how they can mentor others how men can sort of uh empower um and be more aware of what the issues are so that you know in within practices uh they are helping uh the women who are in the practice to actually keep on leaning forward giving them the opportunities to do so so there is you know there is gender equity um there is flexibility and there is equity across the board uh, our work as a committee continues to advocate for the best practices within the within the profession within each within uh private practices as to how they can encourage how each practice can encourage equity within the profession and equity across the board. Right. And what do you think those best practices are? So, I think that the, you know, it's a long topic and I would encourage you to actually take a look at uh the powerful that was recorded last year and we had it at SIAC in 2016. Um and there's a very interesting um uh website called the Pala that documents best practices and Justine Clark was one of our keynote speakers who was invited last year at 2016's powerful who is uh, a member of the Australian Institute of Architects and she along with her team created this platform called the Pala and it's a website that um that the that has been adopted um or the contents of that uh, of Pala have been adopted by the Australian Institute of Architects and it documents very very well what best practices really are. Uh the ultimately it's about how can we get equity in the profession and equity across the board whether it's women whether it's cultural mm-hmm. whether it's ethnic or whether it is parents or other people in the profession who um are looking for that equity. and for us um 
specifically what the parlor does and what the women in architecture committee is is about is trying to find out how can we encourage that equity in the profession what can we do to create flexibility for everyone in a practice that can help encourage equity across the board there are lessons to be learned in terms of leaning in there are lessons to be learned as well from um from data so we see that there is a drop that happens right out of school for women because you, we do know that research has shown data has shown that you know almost equal percentage of men and women enter architecture schools and graduate from uh, schools right. you have three levels of drop that happens the first drop really happens is right out of school because you realize that you've put in all of these hours and the profession uh is demanding a uh, second drop happens sort of uh women don't sort of chase licensing because mm-hmm. it's it's become harder to do so and there is a sort of a balance between the hours that you spend at work and then you have to do all of these exams right. as well and so often that can be quite intense and so there's there's a drop there as well and there's not enough incentivization uh however you know schools like woodbury have tried to integrate that into their program and yes. really encouraging it which mm-hmm. is great um there's a drop that happens when women start to sort of have families and um often if you don't have a, a partner who's an architect who doesn't understand or is a partner who's who's earning a lot more um it's sort of the, the economics of the situation doesn't provide the logic sometimes for women to keep pursuing right. that passion forward right. and the pressure of having the family and looking after children often can be a, a hard decision as well and so there's that drop that happens at that stage and then the, you see the third drop is sort of when you get to middle management level and you see that women are not able to break that ceiling and yes. that they sort of get to that middle management level and not able to like get to that leadership level right. and there's a drop that happens there right. and so you continue to see with that drop you don't see enough women on top and hence you don't see enough mentorship to sort of you know bring yes. those who want to be in the profession right. and sort of ask passionate about it and want to continue to endeavor to you know be right. in that leadership right. position so i think the more we can encourage that the better it is um so i would encourage you to take a look at the pala website and to see what is in it and we have tried to sort of understand in los angeles what are the nuances that can sort of help and a lot of this is sort of awareness you know you there is a little bit of that the male design culture and um I I don't think that the male design culture is trying to propagate for male design culture it's just the <laughs> lack of awareness of um how to bring and empower women within your own practice to keep going forward that's amazing Yeah, I've noticed um I've been to a lot of the WIA and the AWA plus D events lately. They're you've been doing a lot of them in conjunction with each other, which is great. 
and they've been really empowering. I mean, the the spirit there has been so positive. Um, recently, you know, the Speed Talks event or uh, the mentorship round, those were absolutely wonderful. I mean, I really, really feel like I'm getting my, you know, my men- my membership is like really working for me here. <laughs> That's fantastic. And AWA plus D and WIA are sister organizations. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's we're all trying to do the same thing. Right. We're just a part of the AIA LA, um, the American Institute of Architects. And so we the, the intent is to work together to empower each other. That's awesome. I think, you know, it's better to have that spirit of camaraderie rather than competitiveness, especially as women we have to band together. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what about um, you know, you're you're doing so much work uh, advocating for women. What inspires you to do that? You know, I uh, did not think of myself gender-specific or culture-specific or sort of um, color-specific or race-specific until I had children. Really? After my first born. I think the design community is a very liberal and accepting community. It's it's about, in my opinion, it's about what you bring to the table in terms of ideas. And once you have children, you you sort of start to break that mold and you're forced to and you sort of start to go out into the community as well. Um, So you start to see those things. It could also be the lack of awareness that I had about myself. I was just so into design and so into um, the passion to sort of build, make, place and sort of design that I didn't think about myself as a woman. Um, it's when I had my my son and I started to see how people behaved or their perception of myself was different. It's also that I sort of started to have my own sense of guilt about am I giving uh, the right amount of time to my practice or am I feeling the pressure of uh, the folks around me because I was sort of spending all these hours at work and now um, I had to leave at a particular time and I started to sense were people questioning my passion and commitment to the practice and I knew I did not feel any differently about my practice or about my passion or about my commitment to either the firm or design or any of my work. What I did want was flexibility. What I did want was trust. And I was wondering, was that being questioned? or And I was also wondering, was that me self-inflicting it? Or was it that I was feeling it? And I wasn't so sure whether those two things were true. However, What I did see was that even though I was part of a practice that was very accepting, very diverse and did promote equity, that um, there weren't enough women in the leadership role that had had children. And in fact, um, we had only one principal. She was a single mother. Um, Other than that, we didn't have um, women in a leadership role who had children. We didn't... Um, 
have enough senior associates who are associates uh, or middle management who had children either at that time and um i started to look around me and sort of see um why and i was also invited to talk at powerful in i think 2015 about um motherhood and design and i started to ask questions just like you said you right. started to ask questions right i started to just give a call and ask people and ask other women what are the struggles that you're having as a woman and as a mother after becoming you know how is that affected your career and the number of people who uh i i actually sent out a survey because i sent out a survey i got all these answers from women of how they were being treated within large practices uh how they sort of felt this sense of guilt um at how they felt a sense of pressure uh and that were, even though they were trying to lean in in one case um this one um architect who was pregnant uh and she was in a senior role at her practice sort of said that when she sort of signed up for you know uh for something extracurricular um within the practice she was sort of said by one of her one of the senior management you've got a got you've got a lot going on why do you you know are you sure you want to take this on maybe you hmm. should not do it so instead of instead of the senior leader sort of saying or encouraging to lean right, in right and trusting that she would know better because it's her own life that's exactly correct <laughs> yeah um that you know there was sort of a discouragement there oh. and mm-hmm. so there's a, i think there's a lack of awareness of of when women get to that stage of how to support them it's the lack of awareness i think it's it's lack of support sometimes it is women's i think self inflicting a little bit of guilt sure. and pressure on themselves whether they're going to be able to do it or not uh and it's 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 support and it's the profession trying to provide the flexibility to all their staff to be able to support um family and practice and or you know because the one thing that is is important to question is is the level of commitment um uh, directly proportional to the amount of time that you're spending at the studio or is it the quality of work that you are producing in the time that you're there and what you bring to the table um and so i think i started to question that after i sort of became right. um a parent and i started to realize that i had to by the virtue of the fact that i had to leave that i was being smarter about how i was doing my work um the quality of work that i was doing the choices that i was making and uh and how i was doing work as right. well and so i was becoming far more efficient that mm-hmm. didn't um and in fact i think that um becoming a parent did become made me more humble and uh had more awareness and more empathy 
for both people as well as for design and sort of how we look at space, how we interact with space as well. And it also, you know, because of becoming a parent makes you more open and gets you more involved into the community through schools or preschools or playdates with a more diverse community, you start to look at your profession in a diverse way and you, you get invited to do so as well. So, you know, as a part of the preschool pro bono work, comes into play sure. redoing their yeah. studios or redoing parts of the preschool becomes uh-huh. a part of you know giving back to the community and so you know there is an energy that sort of comes with that as well and yes. so there is sort of um uh, uh, sort of a I would say mutually beneficial and complementary relationship between becoming a parent and the design profession sort of coming together as right. well I think that you know you don't you don't know what being a parent's like until you are a parent. There's no getting around that. And so I I do see how that would be a very difficult situation as a parent feeling like the people who are, you know, managing the company may not understand your life and your mentality. And I do think it's absolutely true that, you know, now that you have all of these other demands, you just become more efficient and you, you have a broader perspective, which is good. Um, all, you know, so many of our stakeholders are parents <laughs> or children, and you have a better understanding of what they need. I, absolutely. And I think that my work with the, with the Women in Architecture Committee helped raise the awareness within my practice, and I think it helps raise the awareness um, across the board uh, with just each one of us doing our little bit. And, you know, you're able to show that you're able to show, hey, I'm uh, my level of commitment and passion to design to the practice is not any different than what it was before I had children. I- if anything, it gets richer. Yes, and I think everybody's different. I mean, you know, I do know know moms who choose to be stay at home moms, and that's totally fine. And I know they feel guilty as well. You know, and and. F- women who decide that they're they're moms and they're going to still kick butt at their career, that's totally fine too. Everybody should feel supported and that they know themselves best. They know what's best for themselves, their families, and what they can or cannot handle. And so it, you're, I I absolutely commend what you're doing. I, I think it's amazing. And it's, inspiring for me as I look, you know, at my life wondering, am I going to be a parent? Am I going to handle all of this? I have no idea, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's possible. Well, I would say that, you know, it's all about what you want. And if that's, if that's what you want, you're going to figure it out. You're Mm -hmm. going to surround yourself with community and you, which empowers you and supports you. And, um, and you'll do what it takes to make it happen. Um, I think that it's if you have your commitment and passion to both your career as well as to design and the profession and you know that that makes for a very powerful contribution to um, in terms of you know where you are in your place um, on earth or in life uh, you will make it happen and you will engage your children in the same way as well because you you try and bring them along with the philosophy and the, that you think holds true. Right. 
And so I, I, I'm curious, how do you make it work for yourself? Because you're, you know, you're a city architect, you're chair of the WIA, you're, you know, a parent of two children. How do you do that all? And am I missing anything else that you're doing? <laughs> well, you know, like people say work-life balance. There's nothing known as work-life balance. It's work-life integration. It's hmm. do what you need to do. It's, it's wherever it takes to make it happen. It's a question of, I think, again, what you want. Um, uh, my husband and I don't have any family in the United States. Uh, he's from Australia. I'm from India. All our families are in our countries and we're immigrants here. And so our family is our friends here. And that's what we call as our support system and our community. And, um, you know, you, it, when they say it takes a village, it really does. And so you, uh, surround yourself and you reach out and become part of the community that helps you provide the support and you do what you need to, to be a part of that as well in terms of contributing to that. Um, so there's, you know, so there's the whole community aspect of it and there's the whole social aspect of it and sort of being connected. And it, it's the more you're involved in it, I think there is a complementary relationship However much energy you give into it is what you get back as well. And that I think is true for anything that you're sort of part of. When it comes to sort of practice, um, you know, it was very clear to me from day one that I wanted to continue my practice um, as an architect and as a designer. Um, uh, whether or not I had children, but it was important for me to have a family as well. Um, and so uh, I think what makes it work for me is that I do have a very supportive partner uh, and uh, he values what I bring to the table. For him, it's important that I have my own identity and uh, and that where we bring equal uh, amount uh, to the table, you know, sort of equal, so equity to the table and across the board. And I think that makes it empowering for me to be able to continue to do what I want to do. Uh, and then I think your community that you have around you, which is your family and your friends, sort of help and encourage you to get... And ultimately, it's about what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you speak a lot about community. And I see that in every aspect of your career, you've been building community um, at the city, uh, in private practice, um, you know, through WIA, I mean, through every aspect, is that what got you interested in architecture? Um, I'm very interested in placemaking and what are the aspects that go into, into that? Um, what makes a space and a place richer and what makes it work and as an architect I think we provide the armature the framework the structure and the organization to fill in the vibrancy that's brought by people and uh, by ideas and the programming that we put within that 
and how all of that sort of starts to sort of function together to create um to really create place to really create energy and um and i i, I do strongly believe that without people and without that sense of community design is hollow so it's 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 a give and take i do very strongly believe that um design provides for the framework and the armature so that community can come together and if it's done well it actually provides for that level of vibrancy and um that sense of community sort of a sense of ownership um in a space um that makes for interesting vibrant and amazing spaces and places uh and architects i think have um a responsibility uh sort of at a at a social level i think at a cultural level at a design, at at sort of an aesthetic level and i think when they are able to provide the right kind of framework and structure and um that brings about the right kind of programming the right kind of culture then when the community comes together i think that mix will create for successful spaces and successful places that's so interesting <laughs> i i mean i i completely agree architecture's nothing without people well i mean you look at any successful you know when you look at any successful place or you look at any successful cities um you you see that that there is a certain level of organicness that does bring about vibrancy um and not everything needs to be controlled uh but like i said if a successful architect is able to create the structure the framework in which um an interesting program is is able to be integrated then you see sort of an, an economic and a social aspect that um starts to sort of create a level of vibrancy and um and i think that that makes for you know that sort of starts to transform it sort of starts to revitalize it sort of starts to give a sense of belonging to people and that's what generates community and you know people start to then have sense of ownership of a place and sense of ownership of a space as well and i think that's where community comes into play right and would you mind speaking a little bit specifically about some of the projects you worked on um in the past or projects you're working on now as city architect and how you've been able to create that vibrancy through your work So um it's an interesting question so um because you sort of talked about city architects so I'll sort of first talk about what I think is sort of the role of this yes what what comes with that role right. of a city architect and with that comes sort of a priority for guiding and guiding design of buildings and places that serve the needs and desires of of a community but it also bears a responsibility to set an example and that example uh is for example um is where we can um show to the rest of the community that we are pushing innovation or 
pushing design or pushing placemaking. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the city of Santa Monica is right now um, um, has a building that we are working on and it is going to be a living building challenge building. So it will have uh, net zero energy and net zero water and it'll be redless material compliant and it will probably be the first if i'm not mistaken municipal building in the world to be a living building challenge building and probably one of the most sustainable municipal buildings in the world one of the first ones and so that it'll be an extension of city hall and uh, Uh, in the city of Santa Monica it's the city services building and the important thing there is that it will make for a new city hall campus and so we're pushing the edge of sustainability and trying to create a building that is very green that is on the edge of environmental sustainability but it's not only on the edge of environmental sustainability but it's also about serving the community the building in itself in its essence is about bringing um uh, staff who are in leased spaces um all over downtown Santa Monica and bringing them into the city hall hub creating one entire city hall campus so that together the staff is able to work efficiently to serve the community uh it will have a sort of a one stop permit center to be able to um uh you know address the community mm-hmm. and serve the community um it will be a place where staff is be able to collaborate with one another more efficiently because they're in one single space um in one single city hall campus um and in actually it's economically sustainable as well because in the long run you don't you're not paying leases in sort of different um spaces that the city had to lease and it they're building their own the city is building its own um on its own land it's building uh the building so that it is um environmentally economically mm-hmm. and um workwise sustainable to be able to serve the community yeah i mean santa monica is always on the cutting edge of sustainability it's really amazing so How did you get into this role as city architect because I know previously your work in at Moore Rural you dealt was um you had a few civic projects there as well was that how you made that transition or how did you decide to do this So I mean interestingly um yes my work at Moore Rural you dealt uh is probably the reason that I am here and my position as a city architect in Santa Monica um uh MRY which is short form for Murubal Yudal is an is an amazing place where again community is and context community and context is what they really um look at and pay attention to to design it's a, it's about humanistic principles really and so and my interest in in sort of both master planning uh as well as then taking each aspect of my master plan and building them um uh for me that's that's 
very important mm-hmm. that I am able to sort of go from that larger scale and zoom down to this, you know, zoom down to that smaller scale as well. So to be able to build what I have designed at a larger level is important. And now the city of Santa Monica was an interesting, is an interesting community. And I was, you know, blessed to be given the opportunity to work on sort of large projects of civic scale. So the, the Ocean Avenue South or the Santa Monica Village project um, was um, a very interesting project that I both designed as well as sort of grew as the project architect and the project manager. Uh, and it was a project which had a diverse stakeholder. You had, and it had a very diverse program as well. So the program in itself was uh, to have 50% affordable housing and 50% um, market rate housing, um, it's unheard of to do that in within the same site, so close to the ocean at in a premier world class right. site. Along with that, it had sort of a 20,000 square foot retail component to it, as well as sort of artist loft. So it was a truly mixed use mm-hmm. component. The land belonged to the city, and they seeked for a a design and developer team to come and um, deliver their vision of a socio-economic, sustainable community mm-hmm. uh, to really make uh, the civic downtown of Santa Monica a vibrant place. Uh, and it would have people living in it, people walking in it, people shopping in it, parks in it, and and have work as well and people be able to walk to work as well and so as a part of sort of that project I got involved in in how the city of Santa Monica really involves and engages their community to participate and to um, engage to understand what the community's needs and desires are. And both MRY and Koning Eisenberg, which is another practice in the city of Santa Monica, worked very closely together to, uh, and we were partners in the project, with MRY being both the master planner as well as designer and architects for two components, um, and Koning Eisenberg being sort of the uh, designer and architect for the affordable housing piece. We worked very closely together to engage with the community, uh, to understand what their needs were, alter the designs and the principles of design and the ideas that we brought to the table, morph them to really create a master plan that was truly for the community. And so that process uh-huh. and along with that another affordable housing that I did for the city of Santa Monica and engaging with the community there. The process of engaging with the community and their ideas making the design richer, I think really had uh, a profound effect on the, the spaces and the place that we actually ended up designing. And so we felt that the design actually became richer. Yes, it took longer. Yes, it was a, a process where you listen, where you engage, where there are different ideas. People, Some people have, different people have different priorities. And so how you sort of bring about um, uh, the 
commonalities uh, between all different stakeholder groups and try and address uh, complementary ideas and implement them successfully is what makes for a successful design. And so both as affordable housing, my work for affordable housing, for community cooperation of Santa Monica, and for um, on the on the larger Santa Monica Village project was, you know, I felt very strongly that the design became richer uh, and changed and morphed when we engaged with the community and we were able to actually understand what their needs were mm-hmm. and alter the design to... Um, to their needs that made for a much richer product Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think Santa Monica undoubtedly is such a specific place. And I think that it really has been able to do that through engaging and listening to their community, to their stakeholders. I mean, that's what makes it such an awesome, special place. Um, And I think, you know, that, that sort of mentality as an architect that applies to any scale of project you're working at. I mean, uh, I don't know how many clients I meet where they say, Oh, wow, we're, you know, we're really impressed because it seems like you're listening to us. And, you know, that blows me away because it's, you know, ultimately a space they're going to be using. It's their money. I mean, I have, as a professional, I have, you know, my expertise to offer them and advice to give them, but ultimately, I, I don't know what they're, how they actually live. I don't know how they use a space. They can tell me that or they can show me that. Um, you know, it, it's just so, it's so interesting and such great advice to hear from you. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's, it, it's, it's hard because, it, and it's tricky and it's messy when you have different stakeholders sure. with different priorities. And the key to trying to figure out is what are the things that are common to each each each, each faction, mm-hmm. and um, what are the overall arching principles uh, that will bring people together. And I think if you're able to get to that. Um, and create the armature and framework and the structure within which that principle is able to flourish, then I think you may be successful as a designer. Yeah, bringing out the commonalities. We could benefit so much from that these days with just how everything's going politically and um, culturally even. Um, do you feel like your background, having been from another country, has has uh, helped you to, as a designer, just to become, you know, more open or just more understanding? I'd say it's an interesting question that you ask. Um, uh, yes. Um, when you leave a very strong ethnic and cultural context that you come from and you are in a completely different one, you start to look at you start to question things and you start to look at everything very differently. You also start to question where you actually come from and what are your own preconceived notions and you start to break them because you start to question them. You start to think why you are the way you are. And so uh, when I came from India 
and I came here, I distinctly felt that this was a place uh, that Los Angeles was a was a culture of I, and it was a culture of want. And I came from a culture of we and a culture of should. And uh, and I had to break all the preconceived notions that I had about uh, about both about how I perceive things as well as how I embrace things. Um, and I started to question um, a lot of things. Um, and um, I think that when you do get uprooted from a place and you have to sort of take root in another place um, uh, that that tends to make you far more open it increases your horizons um, and it helps you embrace things um, uh, and so yes coming from another culture and uh, coming to a culture that's completely different like I said from sort of a we should culture to an I want culture definitely made it um, made me far more open possibly trying to embrace and accept um, all different cultures and different points of views that's great I wish we all could <laughs> experience that level of openness you know it's it's it, I think if you seek something uh, you will find it that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I not to the extent that you have, but I, I understand where you're coming from, coming from Hawaii, where it's such a different place. And I never really thought of myself as a minority. And I never really thought about, because I was raised, you know, in the 80s where, you know, I just wasn't raised with this mentality um, where I couldn't do certain things. So it, it never occurred to me until I started pursuing architecture and someone said, you know, there aren't a lot of women in architecture. You're going to have a hard time. That never occurred to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I also never labeled myself as, as a minority or as something different until, you know, I was told that. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly correct. And that, that's my experience as well. Um, yeah, you don't, you, you don't set out thinking about yourself in a certain way. It's it's others who label you. And so uh, sometimes they say when you label emotions and therefore when, that's how people try and organize things inside their brain. Maybe a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> In your position as chair of women in architecture for AALA, you know, have you seen changes already? And if, and what are the goals and hopes that you have for the profession, especially in your role as chair? You know, first I want to, want to be able to say that uh, we are fortress and uh, one is a past chair, the other is a current chair, and then we have two co-chairs. And as women who are very passionate about our profession, we take, we come together as a, a chair committee to work 
you know, and empower each other and make powerful a success. And that's what we've been doing for the past couple of years. And uh, next year, I will be past chair, but I will continue to be in the same role um, and continue to contribute in sort of the same way. So I want to be able to say that it's not just me uh, as the chair who's sort of leading, uh, you know, holding the torch. This is sort of, you know, um, the you know the chair committee along with the community in the powerful community and the entire women in architecture community that sort of empowers us to continue to do more because it's the ideas that we get and we hear from uh, from this community of women who are energized to do more to be more engaged they want to hear more they want to be involved more so we're sort of I feel that we're sort of holding the torch or uh, of the bearers of this community and uh, we are taking forth what their needs and their desires are and bringing them up to the to the forefront and so again again community comes uh, there as well um, and the important thing is and what I have seen is is that have we been able to increase the awareness so that the architecture community within Los Angeles has become more aware of the fact that we do have this missing 33% and that and I think I think that we have I think that you know within uh, the women in architecture committee we have a best practices group that goes out and sort of has interviewed um, and met with senior leadership of different practices to ask them about what do you think about these as uh-huh. issues? Do you really think that there is, um, you know, a discrimination? Wow. Or do you think, and that what do you think we can do or you can do as leadership to make this, make the profession more equitable? Just by sort of doing that, I think we've raised awareness. Yeah, that's fantastic. And bringing Justine Clark to the table with work that the, that she's done through the parlor and you know and uh, and sort of her uh, group's effort at the parlor and bringing that to the stage through the platform of of powerful um, our monthly um, event series sort of um, brings about uh, young professionals, young women who have opened up their own practices, brings them to the limelight. Um, we're able to sort of mentor through, you know, through the speed mentoring mm-hmm. sessions to be able to sort of engage and share stories and to empower each other. Um, you know, I can tell you the one small little um note that makes me feel that there's a difference that I have made or the difference that we have made sure. uh, as a committee. So I received a little note and a little card that I keep um, at my desk and it has uh, this young um, architect. She's not licensed yet, yet, but you know, she'd spent a year and a half out of school and she felt like she wanted to quit the profession because she was at a practice where she was not being given the freedom to um, to design, mm-hmm. a freedom to be able to express what she wanted to do, a freedom to sort of engage. And I just, what I said to her was that you're just in the wrong place. Yeah. All you need to do is n- don't use that. I, and I met her at one of the speed mentoring sessions and she was very disheartened and she just wanted to quit the profession and do something else. And I said, I think you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And 
there are other firms out there that will help you grow that will provide you with the support and the encouragement and will give you the freedom uh to um to do the things that you're trying to do here and and to, to follow your passion and and i said i encourage you these are these are some practices that will really support you with given the fact that you have the background that you've expressed so she you know she took the advice she made a change mm-hmm. and then a couple of months into her new job she wrote me a, a little note and said thank you so much for your words and for for you know sort of encouraging me to go and search for another place that would help me grow that would give me the experience and would give me the encouragement to continue to practice and she said she couldn't have been more happier and so you know that note reminds me that um you know we're we're making a difference absolutely you are making a huge difference um i i attended the mentoring event, event as well and i just thought it was incredible um you know i learned from people and i hopefully gave some people some okay advice <laughs> but i i just think that the community you're building and um all of the events you're putting on through women in architecture are so meaningful to me i'm sure she's not the only one she's just the one who sent you a card and <laughs> i encourage other people to you know reach out and let you know that you're doing a fantastic job well what trying to make a difference so hopefully hopefully we're able to um you know do even something small that would you know it's important it's important if you're able to sort of contribute and make a difference yes thank you so much and um can you let us know how we can get in touch with you uh, to provide feedback or gratitude or you know uh find out more about women in architecture yeah sure you can email me at my uh email address uh, which is um uh, my f- first name puja at bbhagat.com okay great and we'll put a link up to that and a link up as well for AIA Los Angeles and some of the other resources that puja has uh, offered to us during this interview thank you so much thank you and thank you for the opportunity thanks for listening to the xxla architects podcast You can find us online at xx-la.com or on social media at xxla podcast. I'm your host Audrey Sato. I've really enjoyed putting together the podcast and learning so much from all of these incredible women. I'd love to hear your feedback and please subscribe and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for your support.